Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Original music and hosted by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2019. Welcome to the podcast. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your humble host, as always, Derek Wills. Thank you so much for being here. We have uh, we have kind of stirred up a bunch of emotions and wonderful conversations that are that need to be had. Uh, so I thought that there would be no better way than to uh, bring in probably one of my favorite people in the gun rights community, and that is. Uh, Phil Rabelais, uh, he, his ugly mug is right up here. Uh, Phil, go ahead and unmute your mic. Say hi real quick. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Oh, you are, you are very, 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 very loud. It's okay. Uh, so (laughs) it's all right. It's all right. Um, but before we do anything, I want to tell everybody the ATX Armory, uh, AR-10, the tyranny repellent device is complete uh we have a boatload well not a boatload but uh we have quite a few awesome pictures to show you here of the rifle itself uh this one in the graphic is actually the rifle completed um this was the the process and a few videos but look at the cerakote work that they did on this thing man it looks so good. The uh, LSGR logo that's laser engraved in there just looks awesome. They got this really, really sweet weathered look uh, that is just... Uh, I am going to be jealous of whoever wins this because it looks so good. And it is it is not, um, it is not a, a, uh, a generic or off-the-shelf rifle. This thing is very well made. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to be jealous of whoever wins this thing because it is really, really sick looking. Uh, it is an AR 10 so it is chambered for 308. And, uh, just as a reminder, guys, to enter, you have all of the free entries that you want. Uh, every $5 that you spend gets an entry, uh, and there is no limit. There is a free option. Uh, but you're going to have to go to, uh, the rules to find out all the details about that, because I'm not going to bore you with the details on how to get free, uh, free entries because it's a, it's a, well, it's boring. Anyway, Phil, let's talk felons. What do you think? I think they're human beings until they're compost personally. (laughs) Right. I mean, that seems like a pretty across the board sentiment. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so if, if that is the case, uh, then, well, I, I guess they have rights, right? Why not? Well, I mean, if we're being, if we're being honest, they are people. Um, now I did see a lot of, there was, there was a lot of, of talk and, and what spurred it was this story out of Slidell, Louisiana, that actually, if y'all don't know, Phil was the one to bring it to my attention. A guy in Slidell, Louisiana, apparently had an argument with his wife. Uh, they, uh, he took their son to a friend's house, uh, a family member's house, I'm sorry, took his son, their son to a family member's house. She sent two thugs to try and kidnap the, uh, the child. He shot one of them dead and wounded the other. Now, the other was taken into custody and was uh, arrested and charged with attempted kidnapping of a child, as well as second-degree murder because his actions led to the death of the other individual. The father, Hakeem Dumas, was also arrested because he is a convicted felon. Now, at the time that I, that I rewrote the article and, and posted this out, which went crazy viral, I checked it today, it said over 160,000 reads. It's it been crazy, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, but at the time that I wrote it, I didn't know what his felony was because in my mind, it doesn't matter. But a lot of people were curious. 
well, doing some digging, it turns out that his felony was drug-related. And a lot of people who are okay with felons having weapons say it depends on the felony. As I see, um, uh, let's see here, uh, Misty says it depends on the crime. Um, And I saw a lot of other people, uh, I saw a lot of other people echo the same sentiments. David says violent felons should lose their rights, but... uh, Joe Blow that got caught up with some weed can no longer defend his family against an armed intruder. But here's the thing, guys. It really doesn't matter because of the fact that if you are a free citizen, if you're a free man, if you're a free woman, if you're a free person, you have the natural and inherent right to defend yourself, and that means bearing the tools necessary to do so. Uh, And so if somebody is violent... If somebody committed a murder, let's throw, let's use the very real Hakeem Dumas scenario here. Let's pretend that his felony was a past murder conviction. Does he all of a sudden lose his right to defend his son from being kidnapped? Bill, what do you think? Well, I mean, you and I are unfortunately we're right, right, pretty closely aligned on this idea, and that's why this this is going to be a whole lot of you and me patting each other on the back. But I mean, my point of view is very simple that. If the Second Amendment is what we claim it is, if it is a an inalienable right, a, a God-given right, if it is not a privilege, then the state has no mechanism or grounds to remove it from people's grasp. It doesn't matter if they're a felon. It doesn't matter if they're a raging alcoholic. It doesn't matter if they murdered six nuns you know, the other day in public. The state doesn't have the ability to take that right because it is a right. That's the difference between rights and privileges. And this has always been my argument that it doesn't matter what his crime was, it really doesn't. As soon as as soon as the state re- releases him from prison and has said that his debt to society is served, then I don't see how the state has continued grounds to continue to remove his rights, any and all of them. Right. And I had this conversation with somebody just yesterday, and the point you raised was the same one I raised to him. Why does a person who was convicted of a past crime and has served their debt to society and been released, why is their right to defend themselves and their families less than mine or yours? And he had no good argument for that. Right. It really, it was really one of those moments in time where like he stopped and for like five minutes, there was perfect silence between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And then he came back and he's like, that's a really sticky situation. <laughs> right. Like he didn't. It was one of those situations where, like, you could tell he had an opinion on the matter, but he couldn't figure out how to confront the point that I'd laid in front of him. Now, a lot of people brought up um, that if somebody commits a heinous enough crime, uh, then they should be executed. And a lot of people feel the same way. Now, I'm not going to take an official position on that because um, we're not a capital punishment organization. We are a gun rights organization. But if somebody is not executed by the state um, and they are released, then that is the state saying, we now trust you to be among the rest of us. But we're not really going to trust you because if we catch you with any tool needed to adequately defend yourself, we're going to throw you in prison for five years or 20 or whatever. Um, That's... If you're going to trust them, trust them. If there is a reason to believe that they are going to reoffend, and this is something that we'll get into here in a bit, but if, if there's reason to believe this person is going to reoffend, well, um, th- okay, then don't let them out. Now, here's the, this is a very complex topic that we're talking about in simplified terms, but ultimately that means that the criminal, quote, justice system needs massive overhauls but that's a different topic that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about if you're going to be entrusted out in society you should be trusted out in society yeah and and the the funny cross-section that you and i present is the fact that you know by your own admission you are a member of a gun rights organization and i'm actually not despite being a, a very vociferous second amendment advocate i i actually come from a, a prepping and survivalist background but my podcast does tend to touch libertarian values and individual rights because we believe that that intermediately intersects with a lot of like the ideals and the skill sets we're trying to advocate for. 
But again, I go back to the idea that if we're talking about an inalienable right, there there's no way to remove it from a person. You can't suspend it. You can't take it away from them. And for the people who out there who advocate that felons shouldn't have the right to keep and bear arms, they shouldn't have the right to do all the things everybody else can do. What you're saying is that it is perfectly okay for the state to identify and create a group of second-class citizens within the United States of America that do not have the same rights as everybody else. And the last I checked, we have fought wars over that idea. We have we have jailed thousands of people over, over that. I mean, the, it's written into our foundational documents that all men are created equal. All men have certain inalienable rights given to them by their creator. So the idea that we can then say, in the face of that, that we can take that person's rights because they, they're they're this special little group that doesn't deserve to have the same rights as everybody else. I have a problem with that. You know, I mean, since this is controversial enough, we can go ahead and make it more controversial. But you and I were talking about this the other day, and I, I raised the issue of slavery. At one point, the the population of slaves within the United States of America, like five years before the Civil War, was 14% of the U.S. population. That was a group of people that didn't have the right to vote didn't have the right to keep and bear arms, didn't have the right to own themselves as human beings. Right. And we fought a freaking war and changed our laws. And we, I mean, this country went through incredible foundational changes to remedy that situation. But here we have a population of felons in the U.S. who don't have the right to vote, don't have the right to keep and bear arms, who are essentially second-class citizens within their own country. Right. And everybody just shrugs their shoulders and says, well, they're felons. Like that answers the yeah you know, the the uh, like that answers the charge right and uh, y- you know there's this been this dehumanization that has gone across our culture where it, whenever it comes to felons it's it's like uh, it it is it's obviously not the same thing but it is similar to uh, the whole belief that uh, and. This is this is a major extreme here, so I'm not trying to compare most people in our culture with 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 Nazis. But the way that uh, the Nazis were able to exterminate millions of Jews was by dehumanizing them, making them seem like they were lesser, uh, that they were animals as opposed to people. That's how uh, slavery was acceptable in the early uh, well. Basically, before uh, the United States became the first country to abolish it, that's how it was viewed. Now, obviously, people uh, don't share the exact same sentiment as it comes to, to, to felons. They still recognize that they're people and that they are, um, th- that they are human beings, but... There's that caveat that's like, you are a human being, but it's like saying, I support the Second Amendment, but I support the right to bear arms. But if you believe somebody to be a human being, then you can't put a caveat after that. Look, I'm not trying to excuse people like um, uh, people like Ted Bundy. Okay, Ted Bundy was an awful, awful human being, but he was a human being. That's something that we need to, to, to recognize. Now, there's a lot of comments going on here that, that uh, I, I don't know if you're, are you keeping up with them, Phil? Yep. Um, that, that's why you see me kind of glancing down at my right. I'm following along. Yeah. So there is a, a big dialogue going on here between, and you know, there are massive amounts of disagreement uh, because of the fact that, well, th- because of this belief that felons shouldn't have rights. And I wrote in in that article uh, that I the, that I published yesterday. Rights are very distinct from privileges. If a right can be taken away, then it is not a right. And if you give the government the ability to classify X group of people over here as being second class, third class, whatever. You've given them the power to expand that criteria to include you and everyone you love. And it it is a violation of their rights by being separated, by being uh, by being classed completely differently in the eyes of the government. And and as one of your uh, followers has correctly pointed out, and this is this is the the slippery slope argument that it always proves to be correct in the long run. But if you give the government to classify 
a group of people as not having the same rights as others, you've given them the power to do that to any group they don't care for. Right. I mean, how it, it's it's the same reason why, I mean, personally, I'm a military veteran. I, I scream bloody murder over the idea that we would eventually release like VA health records into the NICS system and try, try to draw a correlation between people who've had past diagnoses for PTSD and remove their right to keep and bear arms. I mean, no one would stand for the idea that the government can just label an entire group of people as not having any right. And yet when you when you play, prey on people's emotions and their fears and you dehumanize the group that you're trying to cast to the wolves, suddenly it becomes politically expedient. And I don't care for that. Uh, my right. point of view is that if you're going to defend your right to keep and bear arms, you have to defend everybody else's. Because if Absolutely. not, you're a hypocrite. If not, you're at best a hypocrite. And at worst, you're a liar. Right. That really is what it boils down to, is you cannot draw the line between me and you and say, my right is my right and yours is not. It's the right to keep and bear arms. And it was meant to be universal. Right. And if we if we can't agree that it's universal, you gotta do you gotta do a little bit better than, well, because they broke the law. Because people break the freaking law all the freaking time. Absolutely. People smoke pot. Every day, people speed every day. People roll stop signs every day. People break the law every freaking day to some degree or another. So you can't, you know, who's to say the government doesn't one day, they, they, they redraw the line and say, well, now it's not a felony. Now it's a, now it's a, a high-class misdemeanor. Now it's a low misdemeanor. Now it's, a, now it's a traffic ticket. Where do you want them to, where do you want the line to stop? My you point know, of view is that if we stop the line right here and now and we say, it's an able right, get your hands off of it. That's the only line we can defend because when you let them draw a line between two people, they're going to draw between the next two people the next day. So uh, I see Chris in here. Chris Thompson has uh, he's been kind of gunning for us ever since we we started this conversation uh, earlier in the week. And he's been making his presence very, very well known. And uh, he might have taken exception with the fact that I called him a troll because it seemed like he wasn't interested in having a conversation. But he actually raises a very valid question here that I'm going to answer for him. Chris, you oh, said... Go easy on him. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's, let's, he actually asked a very good question, a question that needs to be asked, and there is a very valid answer for it. He says, didn't the government, a.k.a. Founding Fathers, give us the right to bear arms in the first place? What if they nope. never did that? What if they outlawed citizens from owning guns? We wouldn't have that, quote, natural right. Now, here's the thing, Chris. The natural right exists beyond government. God, careful. Uh, Phil, your head might fall off, okay? Uh, Chris, the, the thing is that um, the right exists in nature. That's why it's called a natural right. So it exists in the absence of government. If you were to live in a completely natural, uh, I don't want to say society because that Im Im implies government, but if you were to live in a complete void of government, in a complete anarchy uh, area, you as a human being would naturally fashion tools, get tools, acquire tools to defend your property, to defend your life, to defend your loved ones. And even in a state of nature, if firearms were a thing, you would acquire them to protect all of that. So it makes that a natural right. Now, if the government didn't recognize that, that is a completely different story uh, in the fact that the government doesn't recognize it. It's still a natural right. So that, that's like saying Jews in the 1930s didn't have the right to life because their government didn't acknowledge it as a right to life. They said it was perfectly legal to take them to gas chambers and concentration camps and work them to death and gas them and, and execute them in the streets and burn their property and everything. It's okay that they did that because it was legal. But that's not true. They still had the right to live. Their government just didn't acknowledge it and stripped them from it. I hope that answers your question, Chris. Uh, do you have anything to add, Phil, to that? Well, yeah. If you want to have a discussion about the difference between what's moral or just or right and what's legal, uh, in this country, it was once legal to force people of African descent to work in fields, 
for no money against their will. It was once legal to prevent women from having the right to vote. It was once legal to do to force Japanese Americans into detention camps during World War II. By the way, that wasn't Japanese immigrants. That was people born in this freaking country that spoke as good English as you and me. Mm-hmm. There have been times in this nation's cut in this this country's history, which, by the way. Derek and I are both military veterans. I love the country I live in, but I'm forced to admit that there have been moments in this country's history we've done some pretty stupid, immoral, unjust things, and it was legal. So do not use the law as a justification for doing something stupid and immoral to me because it's not appropriate. You can't say legal or not legal when I'm asking what's right and not right. Absolutely. It doesn't doesn't wash. Um. Now, Chris, uh, Chris has followed up. Who is going to tell the one who's going to be the one to tell the parent? I'm sorry, your daughter was raped and killed by a violent felon who had a gun because I support his right to own a gun. Chris, that is not that is. Do you believe that felons are going to acquire guns regardless? Watch the six o'clock news. Felons acquire guns all the freaking time. Not to mention, this story, this story proves it. A man had a gun. The only difference yeah. is he had a gun that he used to defend his child from being kidnapped. Absolutely. The law that says felons can't have guns didn't stop him from getting a gun anymore. It stops anybody else from getting a gun. You just right. buy him out the back of a freaking out of the trunk of somebody's car instead of buying it from an FFL. The law is completely ineffective at curbing felons from getting guns. So my question is, what is the point of the law if you were once again trying to legislate? crime it's a moot point it's not going to work but here, here it is here it is to kind of bring it all back together for hopefully your more libertarian audience instead of authoritarian audience which is apparently what a couple of these people are but as far as the libertarians you know the thing we always harp on is the idea that there there is no such thing as a victimless crime show me the victim and then i'll show you where the crime was committed this man was not jailed for having shot the two people, shot at the two people and killing one of them, they were trying to take his son against his will. He wasn't jailed for that. He wasn't charged for that. The local sheriff's department flatly admitted he didn't break the law by defending his child. They only jailed him because he had a gun and he wasn't supposed to. And it had an obliterated serial number, which show me in the US Constitution where it says you can have a gun as long as it has a serial number on it. Just right. saying. Now, but uh, people- I, I guess that's to my point of view. There's no Crime committed when there's no victim and simple ownership of a firearm by a felon or by anybody else, there's no victim. Now, to Chris's point, rape is an issue because it's a crime against a per it's a crime against humanity. It's a creates crime that creates a victim. It's a moment when a person no longer has ownership of them themselves, their own body, because someone has infringed upon that. So that's victim, therefore there's crime. But you cannot use that to try to defend laws against felons having guns because there's no victim. There's no crime. Right. And it's a man argument, but it doesn't work. Yeah. And to, to be completely honest, the argument that, uh, well, the entire conversation of, and this is not to, this is not to chastise people uh, because you're entitled to, to your points of view, but I'm glad that this conversation is absolutely is happening because it needs to happen. And it is long overdue. Um, the the mentality that a uh, a felon possessing a gun might commit a crime with it is the exact same mentality that people who support red flag laws have because this person is exhibiting this behavior he might commit this crime with it so we are going to take his guns from him to prevent him from doing that the only difference is instead of taking the guns from the felon, they're taking him away and throwing him back in prison. And that helps with the, quote, recidivism rate. Because anytime we talk about recidivism rates, and this is something that was brought up a lot, how many, uh, how many convicted felons recommit? Well, that number is never broken down by what was their initial crime that they were found guilty of, and what was their subsequent arrest and crime for? If somebody was, uh, in this case, of, of Hakimi Dumas, he was convicted of drugs, drug trafficking more than likely, uh, and then he's going to be considered in that recidivism statistic because he possessed a firearm while defending his son. So it doesn't tell the whole story. But... 
I, you know, one thing that I that I pose to people is, what percentage of the population do you think is is uh, has a violent felony on their record? Because a lot of people say nonviolent felons I'm okay with, violent felons I'm not okay with. What percentage do you think that uh, the of the population has a violent felony on their record? Uh, now I, I know that uh, Phil, you and I have talked about this, but when I was asking uh, random people, it was somewhat non-scientific. It, well, actually, it was very non-scientific. I was just asking everybody that I came across. They were ranging from ten to fifteen to twenty percent. Um, I think I had one person that was actually close, and it's not that much. Uh, it we we think that it is because of all of the stats that are crammed down our throat. But check this out, guys. This is data that I compiled from the uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics along with a study from the University of Georgia. Uh, now, it is not exactly a thousand percent accurate uh, as far as the calculation of the total estimated violent felons because of the fact it's hard to count all of the all of the violent felons or all of the felons, violent or nonviolent, that are not incarcerated or not under a supervised role, so probation, parole. Uh, they can only kind of estimate that. Well, there was an estimated population of 19 million, and using the data from the Bureau of Justice Statistics as far as incarceration and who is uh, on parole, was able to deduce that only about 1.5% of the population has a violent felony on their record. So we're worried about 1.5%, assuming 100% of them get a gun? Bill, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I'm Bill? sorry, repeat the question. I was in, I was in the uh, chat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, I, I was just pointing out how the... the it, it the best estimates that we can come up with are that only about 1.5% of the entire population, and if you want to get really technical, 2.02% of the adult population has a violent felony on their record. Uh, now, a half of a percent are currently incarcerated or on parole. So really it's 1 to 1.5% that aren't incarcerated, aren't on parole. We're worried about one and a half percent of the population getting a firearm because why exactly? Because of reasons and fears, mostly irrational fears. 24 hour media, Hedia does a good job of fanning the flames of whatever they want to draw attention to and burying whatever they don't want attention drawn to. So they're going to show you pictures of people shooting each other in the streets 24 hours a day if that's what gets you to vote the way that they and their corporate masters desperately want you to. But I'll shove the conspiracy theories just for this once. But at the end of the day, you know, the thing of it is that if you look at crime statistics starting in the 1980s, which was the peak for violent crime in, in the U.S. within my lifetime, and I was born in 82, so barely my lifetime. But if you look at the, uh, the violent crime statistics, they've been steadily dropping every year since then. Mm -hmm. And I'm not entirely surprised to hear there's only one and a half percent of the U.S. population are vile felons, because that kind of matches with what we're seeing, that we live in one of the safest times ever in our nation's history. So for the people that think that they're like gangbangers executing each other in the streets every day, yeah, sure, in, in small pockets, in large metro areas, the same places that have always been problems are still problematic, mostly because of the laws and the, you know, the, the, uh, the city leadership in those areas. But the average, the average community is not being racked with gun violence on a daily basis. Now, it Lisa, just doesn't happen. It's not rational. Lisa says, yes, I worry about the 100% of that 1.5% when it comes to the safety of my children or grandchildren. Well, well except, then you better not feed them McDonald's or anything with um, process, any kind of processed food. And I hope you grow your own vegetables, man, because their obesity kills ki kills people and causes more childhood diabetes in this country than you have a you have a likelihood of your child being a victim of violent crime. Well, so that, what, what I'm saying is not don't be concerned. What I'm saying is temper your concerns with a little bit of rationality. Because if we're that way, if you look at the the statistical probability of being involved in a violent crime in your lifetime, and then you look at the statistical probability of dying due to medical malpractice or dying due to diabetes or heart disease or any of these other things that kill hundreds of thousands of people every year, 
You cannot then tell me I'm worried about the felon getting the gun legally and hurting somebody with it because it's such a tiny fraction of likelihood that there are many, many other things you should be concerned about. And again, if your concern is rational, then it's going to be weighted in accordance with the likelihood that it happens. Felons getting guns legally with a with the recidivism rate that we have, which is not that freaking high when you look at violent offenders. If yeah. you look at violent offenders versus nonviolent offenders, the recidivism rate is it's it's an it's a null value. It does the it's statistically anomalous. Right. I mean, and when you think about the population that's in jail for smoking joints on the sidewalk, for God's sakes, those people aren't violent felons. The only thing they're likely to hurt is a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> now, as you brought up the crime statistics, I went ahead and put them on the screen for everybody to see. Now, uh, the, the FBI just released their 2018 statistics uh, a few weeks ago. and we, we wrote an article on it and showing how uh, firearms are not a leading cause of, of death whatsoever. And that's something that we as the gun rights community have always proclaimed. Firearms are not typically used to kill people because most people die from heart disease, medical malpractice, everything that you just said. And if you look at it, because all of the prison statistics that I used were from 2016, I compiled the same data from the same year uh, for, uh, for all of the violent crimes. All violent crimes in the United States in 2016 committed with a firearm specifically, since that's what we're worried about, was 0.114% of the population and 0.146% of the adult population. So it is so significant, or so statistically insignificant that you you really just, if you're, if you're worried about it, then just arm yourself. I mean, I, I don't necessarily worry about being a victim, because of the fact that uh, uh, because of the fact that I carry, but I don't carry because I'm worried about being a victim. I carry in case of the unlikely event, the incredibly unlikely event, I might find myself in a situation like that. But violent crime generally doesn't matter. And that data doesn't sell, say whether it was a, a, a repeat offender or an original offender. It doesn't say if they were a violent felon who was prohibited from possessing a firearm or not. It just says that this was the number. And if that number includes everything, then your worries are even more, uh, I guess, insignificant. Not, not, Not insignificant. How about more irrational? We'll put it that way. Because I don't want people to feel like I'm judging them for having these fears. It's not necessarily, uh, how do, how do I, how do I put this? I understand. We're we're not trying to dismiss your fears. We're just trying to temper them with a little bit of knowledge. And here's the thing of it. Rational people respond to new information by reanalyzing their previous, you know, their previous thoughts and convictions. And then they either become galvanized or they change. Derek and I had a conversation totally off the subject about um, capital punishment some months ago. And he he confronted me with information that forced me to completely change my standpoint on that one issue because I'd been given new information and a new framework to analyze the situation in, and I was like, you know, you kind of have a point. I need to go back and rethink that idea. So all we're asking is, you know, and there there have been people in the chat. I don't know how much of you kept up with Derek, but I mean, there have been people in the chat who said they're felons and mm-hmm. have been have been otherwise law abiding citizens for decades since. Yeah. You tell me every one of those people who hasn't committed a crime in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You tell me they don't get have the right to keep their arms. You tell me that we have the right to tell them they don't have the same rights as everyone else. Absolutely. There and is a, there is a recidivism rate. That's that's just there's always going to be a recidivism rate. But you cannot use a person might commit a crime to preemptively prevent them from exercising a God-given right. You can't yeah. Do it. And if we do that, we're giving the state the ability to take any group they don't care, care to have firearms out of the firearm-owning population. Yeah. And I don't want to give them that power. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's very – if you really boil it down to its base components, it's very similar to the movie Minority Report. You know, uh, Absolutely, it, Minority Report. Very Orwellian. Yeah. And not to mention that um, – that recidivism again doesn't show what they were rearrested and reconvicted for. And uh, again, these violent felons, this 
2% of the adult population, 1.5% if they're not currently incarcerated or on parole or probation, those people, there's no telling how much lower of a, of a number that would be if the war on drugs was not a thing. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent talking about uh, drug policy, but one thing that we do know from history, is, going back to the Prohibition era in the 30s, is that, or in the 20s and 30s, is that prohibition caused a substantial, uh, from a relative standpoint, a substantial increase in violent crime. And if you look at homicide statistics even further, most of them are gang related. Gangs operate under the uh, premise of drug trafficking and all of that. Well, if the drug war wasn't a thing, those people might not have been in, in a situation where they chose, I'm not saying they were forced, but chose to engage in a violent crime. So I would be, and I can't, I cannot, uh, I cannot, I don't have data that I can back this up. It is purely speculative, but well, I would be willing I to bet. Huh? If I know where you're going, let me cut in after you finish this next statement, because I bet I can prove what you're about to say. I was basically just going to say that if the war on drugs wasn't a thing, violent crime would be down, and therefore the amount of violent felons would be a lesser number. Yep, I can prove it for you. You ready for this? Sure. 1920s prohibition. What happened when we, were, when we repealed the law against people importing and consuming liquor in this country? What happened immediately after that? Uh, violent crime went down a lot. Really? You mean when there was when when we suddenly repealed the law and we suddenly allowed the market to bounce itself out? Suddenly there was no reason for organized crime to be involved in bootlegging and running liquor because there wasn't any money in it. Seriously, that's how that works. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> Mark wow. says. Mark says felons being denied firearms is a long-standing principle. Period. Now that's interesting because it doesn't mean it's a good principle. It just means it's a long-standing screw-up. Yeah, uh, we had slavery in this country for quite a while. That wasn't a good idea either. Longstanding doesn't equate equate to morally correct, right? And not to not to mention that states already have red flag laws, and if they continue to stay on the books for ten, fifteen, twenty years, well, then that will be a longstanding principle, and that would be okay, I guess. Uh, law does not mean moral. End of story. Nope. Now, I, I, I'm i actually surprised I haven't seen it in the comments here, uh, but I did have a number of conversations where people were asking, well, what about the, the, the people that are currently in prison? If you're in, saying that everybody has a right, what about when they're in prison? And my take on it was, well, the, the right to bear arms being a natural right, Second Amendment notwithstanding, I, it really doesn't matter. The right to bear arms being a natural right is rooted in our ability to defend our life, liberty, and property, right? Well, in prisons, guards are there to maintain order, and part of that is to defend the lives of the inmates. Now, whether they do so effectively or at all, or whether they are good at their job, that's a whole nother conversation to have. I'm talking about what they're supposed to be doing. They are supposed to be maintaining order and protecting citizen or protecting the the uh, inmate population from further violence, from attacks, from having things stolen, from also attempted jailbreaks, things like that. They're charged with all of that. Once they leave prison, they no longer have that protection. Now, if the government were to somehow, it's impossible, but somehow. Give every individual a private bodyguard to follow them around that was armed, then them banning guns technically wouldn't be a violation of your natural right because of the fact that you have somebody that is charged with your protection at all times. So, incarcerated people not having the ability to possess firearms isn't necessarily an infringement or even a revocation of the right simply because of the guard's presence and what they're charged with doing. Phil, do you have any thoughts on that? 
No, I think you pretty well summed it up. Because I mean, that, that's something I've struggled to answer to in the past, and that's as good of a that's as good of an explanation as any I've ever been able to come up with. You know, but what it really boils down to is for the person who levies that as a charge, say, well, you know, if you if you allow us, if you say that we can take guns from felons while they're in prison, then we could take them afterwards. Two totally different arguments. When they're in prison, all of their freedoms are being restricted. Their 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 freedom of movement, their freedom of self ownership, all their freedoms are being heavily restricted because they are currently incarcerated for having committed a crime. Most of the time, a nonviolent crime. But let's say let's say theoretically, in my perfect world, it would have to be a crime against humanity, or you know, a a, a victim creating crime in order to justify a person being jailed. Let's go to that pie and sky ideal for just a second. For the terms of their incarceration, I think we have a justification to re- to restrict their freedoms. However, once we release them, their debt to society, whatever whatever punishment we imposed upon them has been fulfilled, I don't see a justification to continue to restrict their rights. To say that to do so preemptively that in case they might commit a crime doesn't wash. Every one of us might create a crime. Every, yep. Anybody could com- create could commit a crime. This is the thing I always get into arguments with people about when they talk about red flag laws, and they talk about well, somebody with a gun might commit a crime. And I'm like, yeah, but somebody with a car might run somebody over tomorrow. What's your what's your argument? Like all these arguments can be very easily twisted around and turned around on people, and that's my point. That the simplest solution, the simplest premise, is the easiest to defend. If we all come together and say everyone has the right to keep their arms, period. There's no more argument. There's no more allowing the government to draw dividing lines between you and me and that person over there so they can stake a piecemeal, divide us up, and then they can say, well, that person does have the right to right to keep their arms today, and then that person tomorrow and that person the day after that. If right. we just draw the line in the sand and every one of us gets on and everyone else defends it side by side, we put aside these constant this constant bickering, then maybe we can actually push the government to recognize the rights for what they are. But as long as we continue to say, well, that person did something I don't like or that person did, made a mistake years ago, we're going to continue to allow them to divide us. So understand that this is not – and you know, this was something you and I talked about the other day. But when, when the media wants to portray a felon, they show you the picture of the MS-13 gang member with the tattoos on his face that just murdered six nuns in a, in a bus yesterday. And they, they want you to believe that everyone's ever committed a felon is that image because it's scary and it makes you do what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand that the majority of people that are felons, the majority of people that are felons today, yep, they were smoking pot. And like I said, potheads aren't going to hurt anything worse than a bag of Cheetos. That's just the way it is. Hey, man, Cheetos um, are delicious. <laughs> yeah, but they don't have human rights, so no victims right. of crime. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there are people that smoke pot. There are people who cheated on their taxes. There are people that stole something. I'm not saying theft is a good thing, but there are people who, whether they had a gun or not, they're not likely to commit a crime that causes injury using the firearm. If you find a person who commits a violent crime, then we could kind of have a conversation at least about whether or not they should get the rights back. I think they should. But the point remains that, when you say all felons can't have the rights, you're you're saying that had you should say that knowing that ninety five percent of felons never committed a violent crime to begin with. So you're saying that people that never committed a violent crime who are unlikely to commit a violent crime with a firearm by extension cannot have a firearm to defend themselves or their sleeping child as this man did. Well, you know, I, maintain, I can't get on board with that. Well, well, I maintain that even if they did commit a violent crime. Uh, they, if they're going to be entrusted back into society, then they should be entrusted. And, uh, you know, I've oh. seen, I, I've seen comments and, and, like, and you and I, you and I agree on that wholeheartedly. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that I'm trying to take this big group of people who are on the other side of this issue, and I'm trying to split them up to say, the all, all y'all, the majority of y'all, they're saying, well, nonviolent felons should get their rights back. Y'all really should be on my side of this issue, not the mm-hmm. other side. When I say all felons. And you and I are arguing over all felons getting their rights back. You're holding out on coming to my side of the aisle because like 2% of that prison population are violent felons and 98% are not. And that's just not rational. You should be on my side of this issue, not the other. And for the people who are saying all felons, no matter what, you got a better chance of dying from heart disease than you do violent, you know, at the hands of a violent felon. 
Yeah. So, uh, Wes says, 100 years ago when you got out of prison, they gave you a horse, a saddle, and a 30-30. Um, why is that? Uh, probably because everybody viewed firearms as a tool and... Just like a horse in a saddle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Tony says, and I've seen comments like this a lot, uh, you can get your gun rights back, just costs you a few bucks for an attorney. That's not... So you have to buy your rights back. Okay, that, but that's a that, good... At that point, it's not a right. It's it's not a right. You know, um, yes, in Texas, there is an avenue for past felons to uh, to get a to be legally be able to possess a firearm again, uh, and there is even an avenue for them to get their license to carry. But it is a decade after their crime has been adjudicated. Which some people are okay with. Well, if they haven't if they haven't had any strikes in ten years, then I guess they're okay. But that's not how rights work. Rights are rights, not privileges. We're Lone Star Gun rights, not Lone Star Gun privileges. We, you know, we're not fighting for the privilege to keep and bear arms. It's a right. Now, uh, now full disclosure, we're not, uh, we're not actively filing a bill or pushing a bill to change this our immediate uh priority is constitutional carry but the the dialogue needs to happen the conversation needs to happen um and rick says the point is either bearing arms is a right for everyone or it's not a right for anyone rights are not doled out to some uh rights are not doled out to some and not others that is absolutely uh a thousand percent correct uh yeah and, there you and are. i think for people who are i think for people who claim to be really hardcore second amendment supporters you have to you have to speak you have to i'm gonna challenge you to begin to take a different point of view that the second amendment is an inalienable right and if it's a right the government can't restrict it see i i get i get in hot water sometimes in the second amendment community because i am so uncompromising because i am the I am the rocket launchers and cruiser weapons Second Amendment advocate. I'm that person that says there are no restrictions. Everybody can have what they want. Everybody can carry it however they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. I think you should be able to carry a I think I should be able to carry a concealed weapon into a police station. Why? Because I'm not causing harm with it. Absolutely. Saying that I saying saying that I cannot carry a firearm into a in into a police station because I might commit a crime is like saying I can't drive a car on the street because I might run over a police officer. It just it it's preemptive policing of a person who's not going to commit a crime because I haven't and I'm not going to. So I guess my point of view is that if we begin to look at the second amendment in terms of it's an inalienable right, it cannot be restricted, then we will find that there is much less dividing us in the second amendment community than what I, what there currently is where you have the people that say, I support the second amendment, but Mm -hmm. I don't like ARs. I don't like body armor. I don't like suppressors. I don't like blah, blah, blah. If the word but is included in I support the Second Amendment, you don't really support the Second Amendment. Right. That's just the way it is. You can't you can't defend your right to keep and bear arms and then say a felon shouldn't. Yeah. You can't do that intellectually. And here's the other thing, guys, and this is something that came up set for full times in this conversation. But for the people who say Molon Labe, like if the government ever did say tournament or else, if Beto O'Rourke got the presidential nomination and he said Mr. and Mrs. America, turn in the guns or else we're coming to get your AR-15s. If you're, if you have at every point in time said that you would not comply, but felons shouldn't have guns, you need to reanalyze your standpoint on things. Because what you're saying is that there are certain laws that if they were passed, you absolutely would not comply with. You would absolutely defend yourself violently if necessary. And the only difference between you and a violent felon is a gun control law you refuse to bend into. So start thinking in terms of that. What I'm advocating is not as off the beaten path as you believe it is. What I'm saying is that we should not allow the government to take our rights at the stroke of a pen. Yeah. But in order to defend that in, in an intellectually honest, consistent manner, you have to apply it across the board. Because if you don't, you're giving the state exactly the excuse they need to take, take a person's rights or a group's rights at their whim and i just can't get on board with that yeah um i mean yeah is there anything else that really needs to be said on on this i mean i think that uh 
Oh, I think we set no people's hair on fire, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's uh, that is absolutely factual. One thing. Um, now I'm gonna just kind of th throw this out. You did hear that uh, your boy Beto dropped out, right? I am so heartbroken for that. <laughs> I mean, okay, look seriously. Here, here's here's Beto O'Rourke. He he is that guy who like has the worst batting average on his team. He couldn't hit the ground in three tries with his hat. And he gets up on the plate. The bases are loaded. He swings for the fences. Hodota, if he could just connect with this ball, he'd be the hero of the day. And he spins around circles and falls on his butt. Yeah. Because his whole, his whole, we're going to take your assault rifles, went over like a fart in church. <laughs> and here's the funny part of it. It didn't go, it, was, it wasn't a total flop because that wasn't what he really felt. It absolutely is. It didn't even go over really poorly because that's not what a lot of people are privately saying. It went over poorly because it's exactly what people were saying privately and did not want to say publicly. Because right. what the man did was go stand out in front of Mr. and Mrs. America and wave a red cape. Yep. Yeah. And no. I'm going to tell you something. I I've been hoping and praying for a political candidate. I I'm actually upset. He, I'm only upset that he didn't get more support than he did. I was kind of hoping he'd stick around a little longer, stick his foot further in his mouth, but he did what I've been waiting for years to happen. He finally stood up in front of America and said what I've been saying for years. Yes, they are going to come take your guns. Yes, they want to. Yes, they want to ban ARs and AKs. Yes, they do. So thank you. Better award for making my point for me, for saying what I've been claiming y'all were thinking for years. And the fact that he dropped out because he only got like 2% of the vote at this point, uh, people give it a couple of sessions. We're going to revisit this issue again. And next yeah. time it's going to be even more popular. Uh, I but don't remember, know if, if, you say, if you say I will not comply, you're a felon too. Yeah. Um, oh, and at the point at which you actually do resist is the point at which you become a violent felon. So... Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, this, I just became aware of uh, a couple hours ago and I just kind of wanted to, wanted your take on it. It is, it is really tragic and, um, I would say ironic, but it's not really uh, a woman in Texas named Ashley Oz, Ozzini, uh, Ozanin, I, I, I'm butchering her last name. Uh, she was an active member of mom's demand action in Texas. Um, it was reported yesterday that she killed her three kids and herself in a murder-suicide following her divorce. Um, do you have any any Jesus. thoughts on that? I say prayers for those children. Yeah. Well, the the, the children not were. Really, I, it sounds really insensitive. I'm not really that upset when a person commits suicide because they have right to do so. It's their own ownership of their body. They can pretty much do what they please. But I I I do I am deeply upset by the fact that those children don't get to grow up that yeah. I, don't, I don't, that I'm not happy about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, an I, can't even, I can't even like make a joke about it because yeah. she's monster man because it's that much of a freaking tragedy. Damn it. Yeah. Like I, you, you, you want to, but then you, you, you realize that this woman killed her three kids. Had it just been herself that, it still would have been a, tra a tragedy. Jimmy asked, was she convicted felon? No, I don't think she was. Uh, had she not killed herself, she would have been. Uh, but that's, uh, that's a different, that's a different story. Um, but anyway, uh, but I'm sorry that your, your boy Beto dropped out and you can't vote for him. I mean, you can write him in in Louisiana, right? You, you just had to bring that up. Didn't you? <laughs> Hey man, because, you wanted a boogie man. <laughs> okay, now I, I I may have said on your show like I don't know six months ago that my plan for the twenty twenty elections was to vote for the most anti gun jerk I could possibly find. So yes, I'm a little I'm a little upset that uh, Boogaloo's been canceled or postponed at this point. I was I, really I, I, I mean look I, I was I was like I had my whole my whole boogaloo outfit hit lay down on the bed. I was trying to match like you know which particular Hawaiian shirt looked the best with um, the old with the old GIBDU. I, I was color coordinating everything. It was going to be freaking awesome, and then that jerk dropped out of the freaking election. I'm so upset, but there's still hope because War Elizabeth Warren is still kicking around. As is Andrew Yang. 
Andrew Yang wants to uh, wants to do some of the same. He wants a mandatory buyback. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you know, Jimmy brings a valid point. He said he he asked if uh, that woman was a convicted felon, and he said he followed it up. I asked because it shows that a non-violent uh, that a non-felon can commit a heinous crime too. And, and here's the thing of it, everybody: most people before they commit a heinous crime are non-felons because they haven't yeah. committed a crime yet. That's how it works. Yeah. Like th this whole crusade to try to pre-police crime, it's a smoke screen for the government just being able to come in and take people's rights. It's yeah. nothing more. There is no, there is no pre-crime. There are no three clairvoyant people hooked up to a machine in a room someplace with, you know, with Hollywood actors scurrying around them. That's not how this works. What you have is a bureaucracy that is fully, fully in respond to calamity mode that's trying to placate the people so they can keep their little fiefdoms and stay in power. And they do so by promising that if you give me X amount of power, I will make you safe. But I hate to be the one to break it to you. I have something that keeps me and my family safe. It's a closet full of guns and a literal adult lifetime spent training and how to wield violence to protect them. And if you really want to have safety and security, you have to stop giving up your rights to politicians and giving up other people's rights to politicians and begin to take responsibility for yourselves. I would hope that's why you're watching and listening to this show, but that really isn't it in a nutshell. If you want safety and security, you get it in various calibers. Yeah. Uh, there's a great comment here from Misty. Uh, she says, I have changed my opinion on depends on the crime. The Bill of Rights is for everyone, period. Yes, laws have been made, but like I said earlier, legal does not equal right, and dot, li right does not equal legal. Good for you, Misty. Thank you for at least having an open mind on this. This is That's, that's why and, we and, do this. And see, that that's that's when you invited me to come on the show to talk this subject, like after I said you're, you just want to hurt people's feelings— <laughs> I mean, I, I welcome it because this is a conversation that has to be had. It has to be had. And it's not just about felons. It's about everyone. Does everyone have the right to keep and bear arms or not? Does California have the right to tell you can't have an AR-15? Does Washington, D.C. say you get to say you have the right to carry a, a handgun in your own protection? Do yep. we have the right to keep and bear arms or not? And if the answer is a, a wholehearted, loud, shrieking yes— then we can all stand together and we can begin to push back against these laws at the state and federal level. We can begin to maybe make progress to make our force our politicians literally at gunpoint or not literally proverbially at gunpoint. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to have the ATF kicking in my door. I like my dog. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, uh, Lisa I, says, uh, <laughs> Lisa says, very enlightening. I fully support the Second Amendment. I've always had reservations with felons convicted of violent crimes. It probably is a direct result of having been a victim. But also having been a victim pushed me even harder to ensure my children were taught use of firearms and gun safety from a young age. Your rationalization makes sense to me, and I can now concede to letting previous uh, notions go and fully support for all citizens. Thank you. Lisa, thank you for... Seriously, it is... It is imperative that we all have a an open mind like you, uh, because if people's minds are closed off, then we are we're we're talking at nothing. And seeing just even two or three people here, um, it just it 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 gives me a it gives me a glimmer of hope that I didn't have before because I thought that you know after the initial report of uh, Hakeem Dumas came out, I thought. I was so frustrated because it was it was just like people are too closed off to this and people aren't going to open up their minds and um and even uh, let the conversation happen and I am very very glad that it has turned into what it has and I'm very very glad that people's minds are even opening up and even if they're not changed but listening cuz that's where it starts and it, 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 I don't know. It, I, my frustrations from earlier in the week were either completely unwarranted or they are, uh, they need to change. Uh, so I, I thank you very much for, for all of that. Um, Phil, yeah, how's your, how's your book? I, I, how's your new book? Come? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Oh no, I was just gonna say I, I think your frustrations were warranted though, because you know, a lot a lot of the arguments that I saw and a lot of the arguments that you saw, and honestly, I saw more I saw more more I took issue with like in your social media than I did my own, but it's a lot because I'm a very polarizing figure and most of the people that follow me are pretty much think like I do. But I mean, you have you you pull from a much larger cross section of Second Amendment and firearm owners. So I think your your frustration was warranted, but I also think that pushing through it and then having this public discussion with me, with everybody that's in the chat, I think it's cathartic. Because if for no other reason than the fact that we had a really, I mean, in the course of this entire discussion, I don't think I ever once saw anybody say, you're stupid if you believe this. I saw yeah. lots of people presenting alternate points of view. I saw lots of, I saw a couple people using straw man arguments, which I, I roll my eyes at, but I never once saw anybody dehumanize anybody else. I never once saw somebody say, you're stupid or you're an idiot or you're anything. What I saw was lots of people trading ideas back and forth. And yeah. that is how we beat these issues. Absolutely. Because when we, when we lock 20 people in a room and we make them talk it out without dehumanizing, ignoring each other, we can have progress. Yes. But this is a discussion that was way overdue. And it's to me, it tees straight into the idea that the state does or does not have the right to restrict our rights. Exactly. But if you're gonna if you're gonna take that presumption that the government doesn't have the right to take our rights, then they don't have the right to take anybody else's. Absolutely. Phil, um, how's your book coming? I just wanna throw this in. <laughs> Unfortunately it hasn't been. <laughs> Um, about halfway through, well, my, my work life has been really ups, upside down this whole year. And, um, I really haven't had a lot of time to work on the book. It's coming. It's just, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. Well, in case y'all are new to the show and haven't heard of Phil, uh, Phil, uh, wrote a great book called American Insurgent. It's available on Amazon right now. Uh, it is a wonderful read. Uh, basically, the Second Amendment's been repealed. Confiscation has been going on for some time. And the book starts with the protagonist being literally the first person to uh, shoot back. So, um, and it goes from there. Yeah. And it's fantastic. He's working on a sequel and uh, really excited about that. But um, anyway, guys, go check that out if you if you are into into books. And even if you're not, you need to give this one a read. It's called American Insurgent. And it is on Amazon. There's an audiobook version available as well. So, um, yep. and the audiobook was narrated by um, Republican State Representative Tyler Lindholm out of uh, Wyoming. Yeah, and he is also a, a he's a hardcore libertarian gun rights advocate. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a great guy. I've uh, I've gotten to to know him a little bit uh, since you. Uh, basically introduced me so he's uh he's he's fantastic so yeah also the audiobook is is there so you can uh, check it out while you're on the road and all that fun stuff uh and just as a reminder guys uh well phil thank you so much for being here man i i really appreciate it it uh it really is always a pleasure and always a great conversation so uh i i wish andrew could have made it but his loss right yeah well <laughs> Andrew and I work opposite work schedules, so it's it's very difficult usually to get both of us at the same time, except for that that one little block of time during the week we can record together for our own podcast. But uh, yeah. I appreciate you having me on, Derek. It's always a world of fun when we get to light the whole internet's hair on fire. Absolutely. Guys, it's a Matter of Fact podcast. is Phil's podcast, Phil and Andrew. Uh, they do a lot of prepping stuff, uh, but they also talk about uh, pro-Second Amendment stuff and, and other things. But it's a very insightful, very awesome podcast that I highly recommend. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't have the this his ugly mug plastering across the internet. Uh, <laughs> I have a face radio, man. What can I say? Yes, you do. But your beard is epic, so I can't really say too much. Just uh, just got trimmed yesterday, actually. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, my my uh, my boss slash wife will not let me grow it past mostly here, and yeah. I listen to my wife. You listen to your wife too. I listen too, to mine too. She hasn't told me. Anything. <laughs> no, no, she hasn't told me. Anything. She she's hinted, but I require. I don't take hints very well. I require like, you know, firm words to make me do things I don't want to do. 
Phil, I need you to cut your beard. That's how you get. That's how she needs to get you to cut it. But you don't uh, tell her that. Just keep the beard. It looks great, man. Uh, appreciate it. Anyway, asked in the that's the second book coming out. Um, I don't honestly know at this point. I do have a uh, I do have a Facebook page, author Phil Rabelais. If y'all want to kind of keep abreast of when the next book is coming out, you can cruise over there and uh, like it and follow it. Uh, at this point, I, I've got about like fifty six, fifty seven thousand words in, and I just need to get back on the trail. But I'm I'm coming to the end of a, a six month training program that has been absorbing a lot of my free time in the evenings and the weekends. Once I get that off my plate, I'll be able to get back to writing. Hopefully, nice. I can't wait for that to come out, man. It's going to be great. I I I feel it that it's going to be. Uh, I I feel that it's going to be great. The first one was phenomenal. It's it's going to be a very the sequel is going to be a very different book from the first one though. Like the first one was very much I don't know. I think the first one had more action than the second one is going to have. But I, what I've come to realize in writing the first book and writing like two thirds of the second book. Oh, uh, Jimmy Colbert, search Facebook for author Phil Rabley. Matter of fact, I'll post a link in the chat here in about yeah. three seconds. Yeah, yeah, plug but, away, man. Um, but in any case, what I've come to realize through writing the books is that every book kind of has a point that I'm trying to push or some some idea, some philosophy, something that I'm trying to get across to the listeners. And the point of the first book definitely became that we have to band together to, you know, to in in defense of our own rights. You know, that that kind of became the linchpin that held the first book together. And the second book is taking a very different principle because I, I'm taking I'm pushing the idea that what is lawful is not just what's just is not lawful. Yeah, but that's, that's as much of a hint as y'all get at this point. Seems to be a very much follow the uh, the conversation we just had. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of that. Well, I mean, con- considering the in the first book, like most of the main characters violate, like you know, commit like ten felonies each. <laughs> <laughs> Just ten? I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I counted more than that. Um, uh, I, just that I just when I got to ten, I was like, they're going away for life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, now we're gonna wrap it up. We've been going on for over an hour, Phil. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. As always, um, you know, anytime you want to come back and start more fires, well, I'll be more than happy to have you. You're always a hit. Hey, you, you've got my address. You know how to get a hold of me. And anytime I can make, anytime I can uh, physically get myself on air, on the air, I'm I'm yours. Absolutely. But thanks man. for having me on, man. You're a ton of fun. Oh, oh, thank you. Right in the feels. Right in the. Feels. I just, <sighs> you're like my best friend. You're like one of my BFFs now. It's it's great. You're going uh, a little far with it now. <laughs> Reel it back fine. in, man. <laughs> fine. I didn't want to be your friend anyway, Phil. Gosh. That's good. <laughs> anyway, man, thanks again for your time. I'll let you get back to it. Um, take care, man. Same to you, man. Peace. All right, guys. That is going to wrap it up for me. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, for being just part of this discussion um it's it's important it needs to happen and um you know it starts you eat an elephant with uh eat an elephant one bite at a time and this i guess would be the first bite so uh thanks again guys again don't forget about the atx giveaway uh every five dollars you spend in our store is one free entry and uh until next sunday arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo thanks thanks